0: consent gives birth to love and life we foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity and tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature welcome Welcome to Radical. radical welcome to radical ladies and gents i'm your host jane hazel thank you guys for being here left right center We don't care where you came from. We don't care about any of that kind of stuff, who you love, who you worship. Welcome to a thing in person show. Um, Today, man, I got to tell you guys, I've been trying to record this show uh, for a while now. Uh, The power has gone out up here. I don't know how many times like it is really uh, it's been we've had a hurricane. Uh, come through in the past 48 hours uh, the, the front side of it, the back side of it it is soaked up here in the mountains uh, where we have trees that root very shallow because of the the rock and when we get uh, some wind, uh, some wet soil, a lot of times these uh, these trees that may not be some of the healthiest trees because it is poor soil and they get uh, damaged you know while they're while they're growing, whatever it is those trees tend to fall on power lines and things like that quite a bit up here in the North George bound so uh, as I've been recording this is literally this is my fourth attempt to record this show the labors of love that I go through for you guys I mean it is so as I'm recording um, I wanted to record on Thursday and then do a show today and and yesterday, I tried three times. Uh, I tried again. Well, I guess this is maybe my fifth time trying to record. Then, uh, tried three times yesterday, and every time I started getting into the show, uh, there was a point where I was almost thirty minutes in already, and the power, bam, gone out. So, uh, it's it's been one of the it, it's been a trial. Maybe um, a sign that I need to step back a little bit more. And do a little more reflecting. And and I had. um, So uh, as I was putting together the show for the election recap for you guys. Because I know a lot of you guys are very curious as to some insights of what may have happened. Because we performed spectacularly bad. I know. um, I, I, i Maybe there's some causes. Maybe, you know, I'm just an awful candidate. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But there are some things I'll bring to your attention. We're going to cover that a little bit, and I'm not going to belabor it too long. But uh, today is also Veterans Day. I wanted to do a little bit more with the, uh, the, the Marine Corps birthday. So the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. Uh, it happens obviously every year, and the Marines go around, you know, barking at each other, calling each other's devil dog and two full and all of these things that are just passed down through, uh, you know, I, I, I guess our indoctrination. And you get to reconnect with uh, just a some of the some of the greatest people that you've ever met, the the terrible stuff that you've gone through together, um, obviously. The perversion of the warrior class and a lot of the guys that have woken up to that kind of stuff now. So I'll talk about that a little bit, and we'll get into Veterans Day. I have a article uh, from Bitcoin Magazine here today, and we'll we'll get into that. It is the um, honor the veterans by adopting Bitcoin and ending forever war funding. Adopting Bitcoin on Veterans Day can help put an end to forever wars that unnecessarily risk the lives of u.s soldiers marines airmen and sailors so with all that being said the election night oh it's spectacularly bad for me like this camp and you know it's one of those things where you look at it and you're going wow we we did terrible absolutely terrible maybe it was because i didn't have uh you know a lot going on earlier in the year because i was in the hospital i don't know maybe it was because uh i'm just a terrible candidate that doesn't like to wear ties maybe it's because my debate performance was off-putting maybe it's because of a whole laundry list of things but um there is some you know stuff to look back at you know so for you guys to understand like how bad this is i went in and took a look at this and guys you have if you if let's talk about just leadership just for a second if you want to be an effective leader you have to own everything like you you have to own the entire debacle So this onus is on me. Like this isn't my team, and that's the thing. Is like I had I had a group of guys this time around. Um, Nick, Jared, uh, Jake, and I mean, you guys, you guys absolutely showed up. The the volunteers that showed up, uh, time and time and time again. um, This this is nothing, you know, on them. And when you look at what happened this time around versus a couple of years ago in 2020, we got 115,000 votes, you know, 2.3% of the vote, which is pretty much in line with what I see in terms of numbers, actually, you know, maybe on the higher side of some of these, but not by much, not, not, not a statistical outlier, if you will. And, you know, um, we, we spent a little bit more money, we had more organization this time, And it it didn't help. Uh, It was one of those things where uh, this I was the worst performing libertarian by a magnitude. Um, Which, this is what I'm going to show you guys. So, you know, I've said that this whole thing has been rigged for a very long time. Like, I'm going to stand by that I think this thing is rigged. I'm going to raise some questions and I am going to ask the question... Where is the rest of the media in asking this question? Where is the media in doing some investigation into stuff like this? Because I don't hear it. What I do hear is a lot of people, even within the libertarian ranks, going, how's the Hazel Camp going to explain this? How are the Mises Caucus people going to explain Shane losing by this much compared to the other libertarians? And, you know, if you're still taking the state at its face, okay, great. Um, you know, I guess there's that. And there's just people that are going to hate on people who are even associated with the Mises Caucus. That's fine, too. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you guys have your your rights. It sounds a little re to me. I don't understand, um, you know, the... I don't know. The the absolute hatred. Uh, you know, I understand hatred for corruption. I understand not forgetting corruption. I understand forgiving people. But I don't understand uh, just the hatred for people who haven't been corrupt. That haven't violated, you know, the non-aggression principle. The, the, the very easy, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Um, you know, principles, basic principles, bedrock principles of libertarianism. I don't understand that. So... Yeah, you're uh you're you're welcome for a feather in your cap. I know it's what a lot of you guys wanted to see outside of the Mises Caucus is. Oh man, I hope these guys in the Mises caucus actually absolutely, absolutely get uh walloped. So here's your moment to gloat. Enjoy. Um, outside of that, I looked at some of the numbers and when I looked at these numbers, I started to do some autistic compiling of numbers. Uh fairly decent with Excel and can run some uh run some aggregates and to see you know what's going on. So I'm going to share this with you guys. I hope it comes through okay. Um, let's see. We'll add this to the stream and see if we can't get this thing going. Up here in the left is the uh, votes. I, I should say the votes. These are the races. So you've got U.S. Senate Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, and the uh, Ag Commissioner, and the Labor Commissioner. Now, why do why do I just have these in Georgia? Because these are the only races that have libertarians in them. So to keep a standard uh, of deviation, the standard of uh, kind of congruency within, you know, comparability, right? You wouldn't want to compare these against just Democrat and uh, Republican races. You want to have you know, a libertarian involved so what i did was i started doing standard deviations for each group over here and on the right hand side of this you can see standard deviation for the republicans was about 65,000 standard deviation uh for the democrats was about 72,000 and standard deviation for the libertarians was about 27,000 obviously with um you know less numbers you will have less deviation um in terms of overall, and trust me, you know, statistics, uh, you know, there's where they say there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. Um, These are obviously statistics, but uh, there are, you know, questions get raised. So the standard deviation for the Republicans was a factor of two. Same for the Democrats. For the Libertarians, we had a factor of one. Now there is a couple of interesting things that I don't know that it means much at all. Uh, the the total number of votes cast in this election was three uh, three million nine hundred and fifty eight thousand two hundred and thirty five. So for the entire election, you only had about you know let's just say four million people show up. Uh, The missing votes over here, total votes versus missing votes for each of the uh, different groups, I guess. So, you know, if you're counting a group as a Senate or governor or lieutenant governor, whatever race that was, you know, there's not that many in terms of missing votes. And as you taper off of, say, a national election or a statewide election or something like that, what you're going to see is a, a fall off anyway. But then we get into the uh, factored difference. What is a factored difference, Shane? So a factored difference is when you take the uh, percentages or the total number of votes and you start to factor what the difference is in those votes. So what I've done down here is I've kind of highlighted, um, if you look at the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Libertarians, I've taken them and I've grouped each one of these. Because you had seven races. Uh, let's see: Senate, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, Ag, uh, Ag Commissioner, and Labor Commissioner. So you have seven races. So this is actually this is a lot of data, uh, and you can you can really start to crunch numbers and start to see trends and patterns and everything else. So within the uh, the the factor difference here, if you see in the Republicans there is a green highlighted box out of the whole red blob there. Uh, that's that's Herschel Walker's percentage of the vote that he took. He took about 48.52%. He was the worst-performing Republican win in races with Libertarians. Then you look at the Democrats, and you had uh, B. Wynn, who was uh, running for Secretary of State. She got 43.96% of the vote. She was the worst-performing of the Democrats. Brian so Plummer. when we look at you know, these, and then we look at you know mine and you'll see why this is important. Um, as re- as the libertarians, uh 0.71% is the total amount of the vote that I got worst performing libertarian. Like I said, you got to own this kind of stuff if you want to be a leader, especially an effective leader. Now, what you can do is start to see what the factor difference is. So, when we talk about a factor difference, what we're saying is is a a multiple what is the basically the deviation from the worst performing to the other candidates and what you begin to see is some you know pretty apparent um some i should say some very apparent uh factor differences here so for the republicans the greatest Uh, factor difference is 1.1 so basically if you multiplied the worst performing herschel walker at you know 1.9 million votes times 1.1 he that's he's not missing that many votes compared to uh, you know let's just say their best performing which was let's see 53.4 was brian kemp so fifty three point four Brian Kemp, if you know that that's the difference between those two is about two hundred thousand votes ish. Now same thing with the Democrats. Your factor difference here for uh, B Wynn versus the uh, best in that class, which was Raphael Warnock, one point one two. So not a giant difference in uh, in you know the turnout. She had you know about. Yeah, a little over 200, and let's just say 230,000 um, in terms of a difference between Raphael Warnock and uh, B-Win. So this brings us to part three, the, the Libertarians. When you start to look at the factored difference between the votes that I received, 0.71% of the vote, versus everybody else in the Libertarian Party, you're seeing... The closest person, not not the furthest one away like I just did with the Republicans and Democrats, but the closest person being Martin Cowan, who received 59,000, almost 60,000 votes. That was a factor of 2.15. So Martin Cowan outperformed me as the next, I guess, next to last in the Libertarians. And he outperformed us by two point one. Five, a factor of 2.15. That's incredible. The difference between me and the mo- like the the uh, the top performing libertarian, Ted Metz, uh, who I thought would probably be the top performing libertarian. 3.9. almost a factor of four compared to maybe 1.1 and 1.12 for the Democrats. And the uh, the Republicans, that's incredible. This is an outlier. I'm not going to belabor this point. What I'm telling you is, this seems odd when you have you know repeatedly people showing up in the eighty thousands. You have people in you know just breaking over a hundred thousand in terms of the number of votes that uh, were you know taken. You start to see the drastic difference. The the I mean twenty eight thousand votes in. 2022 with more people, with more staff, with more funding, with more organization, with a debate performance and everything else. And we got 28,000 versus 2020, which was 115,000 without any organization, without any volunteers, without any of this kind of stuff. It is, I don't know. I look at it and I go, yeah, that's probably rigged. At some point, It looks like Brian Kemp got, so Brian Kemp actually crossed, was the only Republican to cross the threshold of 2.1 million. Nobody else crossed that threshold. Uh, Let's see, I believe, yeah, and and Herschel Walker, are you kidding me? This thing just died again. Oh my gosh. All right, so StreamYard's not going to happen today, ladies and gents, but um, Jesus Christ. this is the fifth time this is this is happening so um i'm still recording i still think i've got everything up technical glitch and i apologize for that um i'm gonna just do this as an audio show then and we'll just (laughs) i guess we'll call it a friday uh at some point here but i did want to get into a couple of other things and you guys in, in radio land will never know the damn difference so uh at any rate boy, man, people, people be messing, people are messing around. I don't know. Uh, as I'm, I, as I'm talking about this kind of stuff to have this internet and in power and everything else die multiple times over and over and over again, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna leave it at this. The, the factor difference of, the votes received for Libertarians versus the Democrats and Republicans leaves a lot to question. Makes me question why a lot of other organizations, uh, you know, quote-unquote news and propaganda and all that kind of stuff, aren't asking those questions. So, without further ado, happy birthday, to Marines. Uh, Two hundred and, what, forty-five years or something, something like that. Like, you can tell. I don't pay attention to this stuff a whole lot anymore because it's not really it's, I don't know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of identity wrapped up in being Marines. And a lot of them are older, you know, they, they wear their hats around and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not me. Um, I hope, you know, if you're listening to this and you're looking for something more, I hope, um, at some point you get to grow out of that. I hope you get to grow into something bigger than your experience as a Marine being the defining part of your life, right? Like it's, you know, Cool, you know, you, you did something in terms of like struggleville and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I hope you came back, and I hope you got better, uh, and I hope you're healing. And um, as I as I continue to push down this path of better knowing myself and still understanding what post traumatic stress is and how it's going to affect not only myself but try to helping you know try to help other people through this process of. You know being able to be alone with their thoughts and conquer things like depression or suicide and all that kind of stuff like this is the new calling this is where i'm going um one of the one of the best ways to do this would be to stop creating veterans altogether so to the veterans out there um i know this is a this is a rough day for a lot of guys like i i get texts all the time from from guys like hey man you know, they, they'll say, you know, happy Veterans Day or whatever, but it's not like it's like happy Veterans Day. It's just like kind of what everybody's always said. What it actually is is, hey, man, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're okay. And it's, you know, like Veterans Day for the guys that are like no kidding, service, you know, like I say service. They're they're combat veterans. You know, they went over. They did some terrible stuff. A lot of those guys saw some terrible things. They lost some guys. Uh, they also lost – you know, parts of their bodies, parts of their feelings, empathy, all that kind of stuff. So this is not one of those days for the combat vets that you know we're real, like you know, thanks, we're happy. No, no, this is this is a solemn day for a lot of us. I I think the best way to attack all of this is to stop creating veterans, especially combat veterans. It would be one thing if we were combat veterans because we were defending. America. If we were defending our states, if we were defending freedom, if we were defending free speech and privacy, and defending the ability to live your life in this world without being taxed every time you turn around, like this, this is this is what I believe. The people that were the 1776, not the 1787. So the Declaration of Independent uh, Founding Fathers, not the Constitution Founding Fathers. If you haven't read the Anti-Federalists, trust me, go read the Anti-Federalists, then go read Lysander Spooner. Those guys are going to change your mind about what happened in 1787 when they created a constitution. The people that were the 1776ers that didn't want to be ruled by the British, by the crown, by a parliament, by any of that kind of stuff, those guys fought tooth and nail against becoming a constitutional republic because it centralized the power of government in, well, at that time, uh, I believe, you know, New York and Philadelphia is where they were do- doing some things. And then uh, later on, they moved everything down to D.C. But they knew for a fact that centralizing power anytime, any place, and then giving the uh, giving the government the power to coin money was absolutely a death nail in a budding, budding free country. lasted 10 years, people. Ten years from from 1776 to 1787 when the Constitutional Convention came around and the people from the banks, the Madisons, the John Jays, and the Hamiltons especially, right? When those guys came around, the banks, the tycoons, and the elite politicians came around and said, we're going to centralize power and we're going to use our money to print all this propaganda to do the Federalist Papers and then, obviously, the decentralized Anti-Federalist. They didn't want to do any of this kind of stuff. This was the fight. So, in essence, to bring this full circle for honoring the quote-unquote veterans, let's honor them by not making any more. This... Uh, this article is by Captain Sid. It was uh, published uh, yesterday, and I was hoping to get it to you yesterday. But uh, with uh, with that being said, this is an opinion piece that's on Bitcoin Magazine. All of this will be in the notes. And um, yeah, let's get started. On the occasion of Veterans Day in the United States, I wanted to put down a few thoughts on war. War is a vile thing, yet Likely, millions of people around the world actively engage in it every year over a quarter of the world's population currently living in a conflict-affected area, according to the UN. America, for its part, is almost constantly engaged in armed conflicts around the world, either in an advisory capacity with air and ground strikes or with U.S. troops joining the fight directly. President Obama, who ran on the platform of ending U.S. intervention in Afghanistan and Iraq, was the first president to serve eight years and preside over the American wars during every single day of his tenure, per NPR. While he did not reduce the number of American troops exposed directly to combat zones from Uh, 180,000 to the 15,000, he greatly expanded drone capabilities and supposedly targeted killings leading to tenure where, in 2016, every day was marked by three bombs dropped on unsuspecting heads. Even today, under an administration that slowed drone strikes on suspected terrorists, we now seem to be on the precipice of World War III. One of the world's largest, largest energy producers, Russia, invaded its neighbor, Ukraine, a breadbasket nation with aspirations to join the NATO military alliance. Beyond conventional wars, societies today find themselves muddled in endless ideological and abstract wars that also harm people and claim lives. Some, and the numbers, far, exceed, far exceeding conventional wars. Several American examples include the War on Poverty, the war on drugs, and the war on terror? How did we get a world of endless wars, and what can we do about it? To answer that, we need to start with what keeps war going. Funding. War is expensive. Putting troops into combat zones, arming them, and feeding them is no cheap venture. The U.S. military spent a record $801 billion to keep the machine running in 2021 alone. While military spending is dropping as a percentage of GDP in the US, it is still around 4% for the past 20 years. Ideological wars also rack up immense costs, though these are harder to quantify in some cases. The cost of war the cost of war on poverty launched by President Johnson in 1964 are estimated to total over 22 trillion as of 2014, a study by the Heritage Foundation said don't like heritage politics consider the washington post fact check of paul ryan's claim that 15 trillion was spent on the war on poverty up to 2013 while the article claims ryan is misleading which the figure it offers no concrete figure and can only muster around 1 trillion of possible overestimation the costs of the war on drugs are lower in monetary terms around 1 trillion but the second-order effects of unregulated drugs and war, warring violent gangs create an undoubtedly large burden on healthcare and policing systems. This is not to mention the cost in human lives, with Mexico counting over 300,000 in its country due to the war on drugs between 2014 and 2020. That's equal to the amount of Americans lost in the Second World War. The war on terror gathers shocking numbers as well, with over $8 trillion spent by the U.S. on the post-9-11 military interventions. The misadventures of violent nation-building in far-flung lands also create economic cost, keeping countries and communities on their knees unable to grow or prosper. However, all of these pale in comparison to spending on the 20th century total wars The total wars of the 1930s and 40s resulted in a massive amount of spending, with World War I costing the United States about 52% of gross national product, and World War II running up a bill equaling 40% of GDP. Where does this money come from? Funding Sources of War Governments are only able to engage in lengthy and costly wars through funding. So where does the money come from? The first funding method is borrowing. Governments can issue war bonds that give the buyer monetary return after the war concludes. In return, the government gets much-needed cash now. In the past, the public was encouraged to buy these bonds as their patriotic duty. Hugh Rockoff of the National Bureau of Economic Research estimates the U.S. raised 58% of the funds used to wage World War I through borrowing from the public. The second funding method is taxation. Governments can levy taxes to fund war efforts, drawing down from the public's coffers directly. Rockoff estimates U.S. efforts in World War I received 22% of its funding from taxation. Taxes were raised through the War Revenue Act of 1916, which taxed, quote, profits profits exceeding an amount determined by the rate of return on capital in a base period by some 20 to 60% per the National Bureau of Economics Research. Income taxes also rose at top income brackets from 1.5% to over 18%. The final, fit, the final funding method is money printing. The mechanics of this method vary by country, but usually involve a central bank buying the bonds, debt, on their own country's treasury using freshly printed or keystroked into existence cash. While this only accounted for 20% of World War I funding in the U.S. per the... National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, borrowing from our central bank is now an increasingly popular option for politicians wanting to put cash toward all sorts of pet projects. While borrowing requires counterparties willing to lend, the taxation raises the public ear. Printing money is a much more palatable option politically. It allows for spending now without needing to make hard choices or immediate sacrifices. As the U.S. military and foreign influence grew over the 20th century, America's ability to borrow from its own central bank increased. The party almost came to an end due to heavy spending of the Vietnam War and war on poverty in the 1960s, which led nations like France to trade in their dollars for gold. At the time, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold at a rate of $35 to one ounce of gold. Foreign governments could thus trade their dollars in for gold at any time, and the U.S. government had to honor that rate. However, there were so many quietly printed dollars in circulation by the late 1960s that the rate should have been around $200 an ounce of gold. Nixon decided in 1971 to temporarily take the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, though it never returned. Without any hard, unforgivable money, unforgeable money backing the U.S. dollar, the government was free to proudly print money, taking purchasing power from all wage earners and holders of U.S. dollars to support government programs. With money printing, Waging war virtually forever is now possible, whereas taxation and borrowing dry up when citizens openly defy the war, printing money requires far less oversight or agreement from the people. Let's look at a few recent forever wars that survived through the printed money. The War on Poverty The War on Poverty originated in the mid-1960s, with the legislation creating and expanding federal aid programs aimed at poverty alleviation. These programs include the Job Corps, which helps place disadvantaged youths into jobs, and Volunteers in Service to America, VISTA, a domestic version of the Peace Corps aimed at helping poor in America. The goal of the war on poverty, as stated by Lyndon Baines Johnson, 1964 State of the Union address, was, quote, not only to relieve the symptom of poverty, but to cure it, and above all, to prevent it. Was the war on poverty effective toward those ends? While some of the many federal programs created to address poverty helped individuals in certain times and places, the overall results are not positive, while the U.S. government spent the vast and increasing sums of poverty alleviation, the rate of poverty has hovered between 10 and 15% for decades. Poverty actually declined steadily into the 1964 launch of the War on Poverty from over 22% in 1959 to around 17% when the Economic Opportunity Act was signed into law in August of 1964. This poor performance of the war on poverty also sits against the backdrop of rising income inequality, where the middle class dropped from 62% of the U.S. aggregate income down to 43%, with the upper income bracket taking up an entire drop. How could this war go on so long, consuming more and more resources without producing results? The U.S. government printed more money, borrowing from future and from its own central bank, which began expanding its balance sheet in the 1960s for the first time since World War II concluded. Without the ability to print U.S. dollars, the U.S. government's ability to wage misadventurous wars in poverty and in Vietnam simultaneously would have been severely limited. The War on Drugs The War on Drugs began in the 1970s with Richard Nixon declaring drug abuse Public Enemy Number One. In the past 50 years, despite military interventions and strict policing around the world, drug use and abuse is still rampant and causing accelerated deaths. Drug overdose deaths steadily rose from the past 20 years, according to the NIH, and a 2018 poll found that less than 10% of Americans think the war on drugs is being won. Meanwhile, Incarceration of drug offenses is destroying education and employment opportunities, creating an underclass of many disadvantaged and often black or Hispanic people. Why does the war on drugs continue then? Unfortunately, the war on drugs does not need popular support. The money printer allows funding for the system of policing and prisons needed to continue the war without the pain of taxation or the choice of... To lend to the war effort, the public's I.R.E. never reaches the fever pitch needed to change political tides. The war on drugs is now unaccountable, a rogue government program with few checks on its spending or actions. What we are left with is an institutionalized destruction of society kept alive by the money printer. The War on Terror The War on Terror began following September 11th and put American troops throughout the Middle East to stomp out al-Qaeda and other extremist groups. While the war on terror claimed a victory in the death of Osama bin Laden, the evolution of America's 20-year war claimed an estimated 1 million lives, with a third of those being civilians. Meanwhile, new terror groups sprung up and evolved during U.S. occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan, leading to the rise of ISIS. At home, the war on terror served as a convenient excuse to pass sweeping surveillance measures through the Patriot Act. Perhaps the most poignant example of the war on terror's failures was the U.S. exit from Afghanistan. After 20 years of U.S. military occupation, U.S. intelligence estimated the Taliban would take back Kabul in 30 to 90 days after U.S. troops withdrew. It took them just five days. A million lives lost, $8 trillion spent, and what do we have to show for it? Very little, considering the Middle East is likely less stable and more likely to harbor terrorists today than when the war on terror began. The war was able to continue, despite a lack of direction or success, due to its unaccountability. There were no clear metrics to measure success and no voters complaining about increased taxation to cover the war's cost. This is enabled in large part by the massive deficits in the U.S. government now and runs the war, runs to wage forever wars. Why do we wage these wars? All of these examples of Americans' forever wars were abject failures at achieving their stated aims Yet, our government still spends time, energy, and money waging them. Why are these clearly failed wars still funded? They receive funding because printing money leads to unaccountable programs. Citizens do not sign off on printing money to fund these programs, and they feel no increased taxes or cuts in other areas that affect them. It's unclear exactly what, if anything... Citizens are giving up to fund government programs today, even when the public voices opposition to a war. That opposition has no teeth. Voting out politicians who support an unpopular forever war leads to a game of whack-a-mole. There's always more aspiring politicians vying for control over the money printer to fund their own pet projects or forever wars. So the core problem remains unsolved. Additionally, powerful corporations in the military-industrial complex and recipients of government money have a vested interest in keeping the payments flowing. Those structures have every incentive to keep politicians in power who support using the money printer to pay them at the expense of the wage earner and middle class. How does Bitcoin change any of this? Bitcoin limits war. Widespread adoption of Bitcoin as a monetary unit in place of fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar would tightly control or completely eliminate a government's ability to print money. Just as the gold standard kept the U.S. spending largely in check, a Bitcoin standard will limit spending on military adventures abroad and costly programs at home. Government programs will need the support of the people to continue receiving funding or else... The increased taxation needed to fund those programs will lead to voting out politicians who support them. The feedback loop of rising spending between government and supported industries, like the arms industry in the U.S., will largely disappear as public sentiment plays a larger role in allocation of government funds. I am hopeful we can achieve a Bitcoin standard because doing so does not require us to lobby the very politicians who benefit most. From, existing, from the existing monetary system. Achieving a Bitcoin standard only requires that we as individuals and communities continue to adopt Bitcoin to a greater degree as a savings tool and monetary medium. If we all hold and transact in Bitcoin instead of fiat currencies, the fiat money printer has nobody to suck purchasing power from and the polit- and the politics of money printing will necessarily reform. Let's honor our military veterans by only putting soldiers into war when absolutely necessary. Our collective and peaceful actions can end the funding source of accountability, brutal and life destroying forever wars. This was a article by captain Sid. Um, good article, man. And I don't know if you're a veteran or not. I have no idea. doesn't matter. I think you're right. And I will say a lot of this, um, in terms of Bitcoin, this is a communications protocol. If a government cannot digitize money, buy their own debt, do all the, the really crappy stuff that the Federal Reserve does with the Treasury, which you know obviously works right in hand with the Congress per the, uh, I think it's Article 7 of the Constitution, Article 7, Paragraph 2. If you look at this, Congress, not the Senate, Congress owns all the spending. They were given the purse. If you guys know anything about civics, this is one of those things where, you know, off the top of my head as an autist, like I know for a fact that every time they pass a continuing resolution, every time that the Senate tries to spend money, anytime that anybody does anything in terms of spending dollars or creating dollars out of nothing, that's all on the head of the Congress, not the Senate. Not the president. The Congress is the only one that passes spending bills. And guess what? They haven't passed spending bills in forever. Do they spend money? Yes. It's because they do these things called continuing resolutions. Now, here's the thing is, if continuing resolutions and a fiat dollar don't work anymore, if those things are gone, if people have no trust in these, which we're getting to that point, we are getting to the point where around the world right now, you are seeing the meltdown of fiat everywhere. Shit coins everywhere. I don't care if it's crypto. I don't care if it's the US dollar. I don't care what it is. These coins, these fiats, these breathe into existence by um, by people that don't understand economics. And I'm talking like really hardcore economists. The time, space, scales, proof of work, not proof of stake. They are all crashing. You look around. Do I know that Bitcoin somewhere around 16 right now? Yes, it's on sale. But when you look at the fluctuation of everything else, it's absolutely getting brought down to zero, sometimes negative. FTX, Binance, have you, if you guys have been watching this whole thing this week, it's crazy. We knew it was coming. We've said it was coming as Bitcoin maximalists. We've said this is coming. The point of all of this is, If they have to come to you with their handout and they cannot take money through force and coercion anymore because you hold the keys to your Bitcoin wallet and you have the seeds and everything else, they can't take your Bitcoin, period. What if they turn off the internet? Well, I guess you're trading with eggs or with gold or with silver. Guess what? I don't know that your local gas station takes gold or silver either. Probably more likely to take eggs, especially if you live where I live during a bad situation. This is the power of Bitcoin, to turn off the spigot of money for the monsters, for the murderers, for the thieves, for the liars in Congress, in the government that run these bureaucracies that are in the banks, that are the MIC, like all of this kind of stuff. You want to help not create more veterans take away their ability to fund themselves out of thin air. That's the, that's it. Super simple. Now I I will say, you know, I I don't know. uh, Let's see. What am I at about coming up? Probably closer to 45 minutes to an hour here. I do want to reach out to you guys. Um, The brave mission has done a soft launch. And The brave mission for those of you guys that are just tuning in that haven't been here very long the brave mission is a post-traumatic stress mission that I am running that I am switching gears into to take veterans out to put them on a new mission to find a passion so that they understand where a lot of this kind of stuff went wrong when you get down to what I've talked about the communications protocol between human beings right how do we communicate how do we positively communicate with each other not just like the people in your life which is super, maybe the most important in terms of the empathy, in terms of, you know, the, the that piece of humanity that a lot of times gets drilled out of you when you are in especially a combat role, right? Because you can't have liabilities. You can't have distractions. You can't have any of that stuff. Mission has to be first. And that carries over into your life. How do we how do we give people their empathy back? How do we give people veterans not just, I mean, and that's the thing is not just combat vets, veterans, like anybody with post-traumatic stress. How do we address mental health? How do we address empathy? How do we address fulfillment? How do we address passion? How do we address these things? We have the answer. The answer is helping them to see and be passionate about base layer communication and base layer communication for human beings, is the way we transact with each other. How do you look at other human beings? We've got some very, very powerful research that's been done by like places in uh, like Johns Hopkins with psilocybin. We're going to be using all of these techniques combined with the understanding of a base layer communications protocol in Bitcoin that's going to give people purpose It's going to see where their code got corrupted. There are a lot of great people in the warrior class in America, absolutely amazing people that got corrupted by a system. Their communications protocol got corrupted by a system. They said freedom and liberty and red, white, and blue and Statue of Liberty and Liberty Bells and, and independence and all these things as you were growing up. They just repeated this mantra over and over and over Pledge of allegiance, do the national anthem, all these things. And at the end of the day, they did this, you know, moving of shells where they 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 took this warrior nation, this warrior DNA, this this passion to keep other people safe and free, independent. They co-opted it. Into this giant awful machine, and they perverted the code, and they corrupted the code, and they took the lives of so many great people, and they put them out to be killed, murdered, uh, to to be wounded, to to carry scars of combat with them for the rest of their life. They took that at at such. A cheapness and they sent it off overseas for the past 20 years they sent it off overseas and they corrupted the warrior class they said things like if you don't support us you're not with us, and get you know get the fuck out of this country if you don't like it I think most of that stuff is falling on its face now I think people have seen enough I think people are war weary, and I'm glad they are because, I mean, the, the peacefulness of this nation, especially the hardened warrior class that doesn't want to see any more bloodshed, that doesn't want to see any more kids or wives or dads or dogs or pets or any of that kind of stuff destroyed, especially here at home, right? Like, we're done. I think these people have started to really wake up to the idea. Now it's a process. And I'll tell you, you know, from a guy that had to get down to bedrock, that took a long time to get down to bedrock. I've got the cheat codes, people. I've done this. I've done this alone. And now I'm starting to show other people how to do it. I'm starting to show people how to let go Of the past to see where the corruption infiltrated their lives what it did to their own code how you make the adjustment how you never had a damn fighting chance when they took you at five years old and they started filling your head with the stuff and then co-opted you when you were like 17 18 19 20 years old help them see what happened take the good that they learned And now repurpose it. The passion, the drive, this, this, I don't know, overwhelming masculinity and femininity. I don't know if I can even say it. Femininity that keeps their young and their parents and their neighbors free. We're going to turn that on. We are going to energize people through an experience. I'm going to teach other people how to do this, and I'm going to teach other people how to run these things all around the world. We're just, oh, we're not even out. We, we have just done some preliminary launching. We're going to do some more uh, here in probably the next 24 hours. It's, I can't wait. The next, I don't know, maybe the next show you guys hear might be, Part of the experience, part of the brave mission. This is something that I'm going to bring to you that I'm going to have people come in and testify about to not only address their past, live in the now, find their present, fix their communications protocol with each other, especially using Bitcoin, peace and liberty and freedom and savings In terms of going after the culture war, in terms of going after the politicians, the banks, and these out-of-control zombie corporations that just want to enslave and harass and hurt and cage and kill peaceful people. They have no idea what's coming for them. The awakening that is upon us now is going to do so, so much for humanity. I'm just honored that you guys are here and you're doing it with me instead of thanking a veteran for their service. Maybe tell them about the brave mission. Maybe put your arm around them, give them a good squeeze, whether you know what they've been through, or whether you don't know what they've been through. Help them to understand that there is a passion in them that is pure. And then show them the mission. Show them the mission that fixes our communications protocol where people who are of evil and ill, evil ilk, can't take from us by force anymore. Show them what makes us peaceful, which makes us independent, which makes us sovereign. Show them that. Teach them. Learn it. Do it. Show it. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. I can't wait to bring you one of the first podcasts from an actual testimony of what we're doing here with the Brave Mission. To all the veterans, to all the wives of the veterans, the kids, the parents. this doesn't just affect them. I see you. We know what you're going through. We're going to help every aspect of this along the way. Thank you guys for being here with me. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for being with me through thick and thin. Thank you for being with me through these silly elections. As we turn the page, I can't wait to show you what we got in store. Until next week, ladies and gents, I love you, I need you, peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take this back.